Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. These chats are fun, informative, and hopefully always interesting. In today's episode, I speak with Will Calloway, MD of PR and sponsorship consultancy Calloway. Will leads a team of experts creating smart, imaginative campaigns for clients across the culture, travel, property and retail sectors. We discuss why PR and communication is so important to attractions right now and what they should be focusing on. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Will, welcome to the Skip the Queue podcast. It's really good to have you on today. I can't tell you how excited I am. (laughs) That sounded quite genuine. I'm also slightly nervous about the questions you're going to ask me. About these these these, these questions, you wouldn't you wouldn't tell me what you're going to ask me. Which is, uh... <laughs> don't be nervous. Everyone says this; they're nervous about the icebreaker questions. Come on, yeah. Right, first one. What are you not very good at? Oh, uh, how long have you got? I mean, I thought this podcast <laughs> about thirty minutes. <laughs> um, what am I not very good at? I'm terrible at lists. Absolutely terrible at lists. Oh, I'm writing lists and I'm not very good at seeing them through. So I'm lucky I'm surrounded by brilliant people who hold my feet to the fire. <laughs> I like that. Class. It's all about delegation. <laughs> oh, not, it always seems to get delegated back to me, but, uh, <laughs> but at least I have someone else telling me that I'm delayed and I'm behind. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good on uh, sort of ideas and big picture and strategy and things like that. But uh, my new shared lists have always escaped me. <laughs> all right noted um okay if you were a wrestler so imagine wwf wrestling yes. what would be your entrance theme song i think probably i will survive <laughs> <laughs> that would be the weirdest wrestler walk-on i've ever i've ever <laughs> seen in my life <laughs> but but an honest answer <laughs> Okay, uh, brilliant. Uh, all right, a third one. If you had to delete all but two apps from your smartphone, what two would you keep? Oh, this is really tough. Two apps. Um, uh, I would keep podcasts because I, I just listen to podcasts all the time. I love Good that. answer. Um, particularly ones on attractions. Um, uh, <laughs> cool, skip the queue. I'm just looking now to see actually which ones I would actually keep. And my photos, there you go. I'll keep those because lots of memories in there. Yeah, that's so, good. Yeah. That's the biggest thing about losing your phone, isn't it? The idea that you might lose all your photos from it. Yeah, I've, I've always, I always keep losing my phone. It sometimes crops up, sometimes I have to get another one. But that <laughs> and my bottle, which I've now lost for a week, and I don't know where they are. So. Oh, God. Okay, so something else we was not very good at. Fine, <laughs> keeping things, <laughs> not losing stuff. <laughs> You've got quite enough of that. What Will's not very good at. I'm still okay. <laughs> All right. Last, last one, and then we'll move on to the good stuff. Okay. So uh, everyone gets asked this question. So I think that you've probably prepared this one, but I, I want to know what your unpopular opinion is. Um, Daniel Craig is not a very good James Bond. <laughs> in what? In what way? And who would be? Who is your who's your favourite? Well, it has to be Sean Connery, obviously, because uh, you know to suggest otherwise is uh, you know just simply wrong. Mm. Um, I just think it's overblown now and overinflated, and and actually, I think the way it was approached in the early years was a far stronger product. There you go. Okay, 
I'm with you on Sean Connery. I definitely feel like he is the best Bond, but Daniel Craig would be my number two because handsome. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for answering those questions, Will. So I, I want to know about I want to know about your background today, uh, and we're going to talk a lot about what you do as MD of Callaway. But how did you? Yeah, what, what's your background? How did you become MD of, of Callaway? Well, um, so it's a family business. Uh, it was founded by my father in 1972. Uh, so we've been going uh, for well, just over 40 years. Um, uh, gosh, getting up to about 50 now. Um, and I never intended to do this. I always intended to be a farmer. So I have a degree in agriculture. It's either that or the army. So I had an army scholarship when I was about 16 and then decided that tractors were far more appealing than tanks, uh, which is something I never really sort of squared a circle. I ended up joining the reserve forces uh, uh, sort of later in life. Um, but uh, um, so, yeah, I was a farm, farm manager for a little while. Um, and I used to write for Farmers Weekly and Country Living and all those sorts of other titles. Um, and actually I sort of moved away from that because I just found it quite lonely as in you would be on the back of a tractor for, you know, hours and hours sometimes, or you'd be off with the animals. And I love working with livestock, absolutely. Cows and sheep are my favorite things. Um, but after a while you just kind of feel actually I really needed human contact. And, uh, I really enjoyed being around people, sharing ideas and, coming up with innovative solutions for, for problems, for brand problems. So anyway, that was a long time ago. And from there, I actually ended up working for an agribusiness PR company, dealing with all sorts of interesting issues, uh, everything from GM modified crops um, through to, um, uh, you know, fertilizer rates on, on farmland and uh, sort of illness in cattle, all this sort of good stuff, which was great. Then I went into corporate um, public relations and I did some, Really interesting work there. Uh, I mean, I think the thing I was most proud of was lobbying for uh, the release of a Britain on death row in Florida, uh, which was really a really interesting project. I mean, it's still ongoing, actually. The, the, the wheels of um, uh, the legal system turn slowly. But that just was really a powerful um, thing to be involved with. And from there, I ended up then joining the family firm. Um, and I was interested in the work that we were doing at the time around uh, purpose and linking brand activity through to really helping people uh, through sponsorship, but also citizenship and also placemaking as well. So when Callaway started out in 1970, we were the first organisation in the UK to really apply the commercial aspects of sponsorship to the arts. So there is, you know, we created some of the biggest um, uh, sort of cultural prizes at the time. So the Costa Prize was originally the Whitbread Book of the Year, which we created way back when. Um, Choir of the Year, which, which some of your listeners may know, was created by us and it's still, still running about 20 years later on BBC Four now, the sort of big amateur singing competition. Um, those sorts of initiatives. But we also work with Barclays to introduce um, citizenship into the classroom. Um, Developing those sorts of initiatives was really interesting. And then from there, we moved into um, placemaking and destinations. And then our work with museums in particular and cultural attractions was growing. And that's sort of where uh, we've been focused. But we do more and more work now around F&B um, and general tourism as well. So, yeah. you know, the company's been on that sort of journey. And uh, and I have too, I suppose. Got a couple of questions on that. And one which 
slightly off topic, but did you work alongside your father? And how, how was that joining the business as, as with him as your <laughs> boss, I'm assuming? <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think it's really hard and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it um, for people who don't want to blur the lines between being an employee and being uh, a son, if you see what I mean. Mm. I can so, imagine it was really, really difficult. Yeah, it, it is difficult, but, you know, you sort of learn fairly early the, the boundaries and, and how you're going to cope with it. And then you, you, you take it from there, really. And, so. and what about the... Um, the specialist so so you you as an organization you specialize in destinations arts culture travel where did that originate from was it something that was always there or did you you know you won a client in that sector loved it decided to focus on it how did how did that come about it's always been there so 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 really you know why why we existed as an organization was to help brands um harness the transformative power of culture so, you know, that could be a large insurance firm that wanted to sponsor theatre to help it reach new people or to, you know, genuinely do some philanthropic good um, through by creating an entirely new programme. So culture is such an interesting word because essentially it's the culture of an organisation. So for a theme park or for a destination, it's not only the experience you get, but the engagement you get with being in the place with the people, um, the culture of the place. So... You know, the harnessing the, the power of culture, helping brands tap into contemporary culture or amplify their own culture. I mean, just recently we've been working with Hard Rock Cafe and, you know, that organisation has a really interesting uh, brand culture and a really powerful and effective, um, you know, way of marketing itself because of that. And it retains its staff for far more than the industry average. And it's something that, uh, you know, is, can be a really powerful force for, uh, for effective marketing. But essentially, really, if you strip that away, we help ambitious brands grow. You know, and that's either brands who tend to be in the cultural space just simply because of our heritage, but more through now into destinations um, and places. I mean, at the moment, we're working uh, with um, Imperial College and Blenheim Chalcott, which is the UK's largest venture builder, uh, on a new space they've created on White City, which is called Scale Space it's going to become a physical home and an online home for ambitious scaling companies. And we're helping them um, communicate that and unpack it to engage uh, as many audiences as possible of um, tech organizations that want to locate there. So our, our work is very varied, you know, from F&B brands, culture brands, tech brands. And actually what's interesting about this is it gives a diversity of thinking to brand problems um, or brand challenges. You know, and it helps give a richness, I hope, to um, our clients in the way that we're able to respond to particular um, or help them overcome particular challenges that they might be facing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Can we talk a little bit about the last six months? Because I think it would be it would be wrong not to mention the fact that we've been in a global pandemic. It would be wrong not to mention the fact that both your organisation and and we've spoken about this offline, our own organisation works very closely with the um, with the attraction sector and tourism. How has it been for you as an organisation, and how has it been for you for, for yourself and for your team through this? Because I'm guessing it's been quite challenging, as it has been for us. Uh, yes, it has been challenging. Um, I'd just like to say a big thank you to my team. You know, they uh, they've been absolutely fantastic each and every one of them, they've all played a part. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful and lucky to have them. 
So thank you guys, uh, if you happen oh. to be listening to this. I hope you um, are, that's lovely. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, it has been challenging. Um, our, our guiding ethos as a business is to solve for the client, you know, to help our clients succeed. So we always need to carry, uh, to have the right number of people in the organization to deliver whatever the client may want at one time. So that, you know, it's not, we're not an option where as an organization, you can simply pull down the shutters. You could do, I guess, but that wouldn't really solve for our clients. So we've helped our clients by working alongside them to find solutions uh, to help them stay present and and contribute to their audiences in new ways. Uh, You know, just two examples of that. So when lockdown first happened, one of our clients is a Royal Academy of Dance. And we created a program that helped them engage people online for the first time called um, the RAD at home. Um, And we segmented the message to different audiences. So for one of the bigger concerns was actually helping uh, older members of society stay connected and stay really uh, sort of moving, keep moving, because they were the people most risk being isolated and also sedentary. And so we, we took one of the RAD's uh, programs for older people called Silver Swans, took it online. But one of the messages for family audiences was get granny grooving. Um, and, uh, Great message. And was, yeah, it was phenomenally successful. You know, we had media coverage all over the place. Um, the RAD's website traffic zoomed up. It got mentioned um, completely unprompted on uh, the Today program, Radio 4. Um, uh, you know, it's sort of a leading example of how brands are engaging. Things like that, uh, you know, we've done through to um, working uh, on with um, just most recently with Japan House London, uh, helping them open a new exhibition. So, you know, our, our work has been has, has been very varied during this time. Um, but how's it been? It's been, I think it's it's difficult, and um, you know, for everybody. Uh, I think, as you've identified, people have their own personal challenges as well. You know, people working remotely. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, some people have very different working environments than you know you or me, and uh, so one has to be mindful about the fact that they might actually want to escape the home but go somewhere else. So yeah, it has been difficult. Um, but you know, we we're, we're we're sort of moving forward as it were yeah aren't we all uh, what what lovely positive stories from um from the campaigns that you've had going on throughout the lockdown though that was that's really lovely i'm i'm not going to forget that get granny grooving that's brilliant <laughs> well we've, we've also tried to contribute to um the uh the you know the, the wider sector by running uh, regular webinars we've been doing quite a bit with uh uk inbound on that uh, and others uh, and bringing sort of experts who we work with as well, you know, be it from placemaking uh, um, uh, experts through to uh, experts in communicating with um, the Chinese consumer, um, through to to help our um, to, to to help not only our clients but everybody in the industry um, learn a little bit more and hopefully come out the other end of this a little bit stronger. So, and, and all that information is um, uh, is on our website, in, including actually, I'm just looking at the website now. As we ran a, a webinar with um, uh, Chris Early, the head of Tower Bridge, which is another one of our uh, Tower Bridge is another one of our clients, and he's in the webinar there. He shared some really great insights about what they're doing as a brand um, to segment the audience and thinking about uh, you know how, how they're essentially getting back to work. 
so there's some good stuff in there as well oh brilliant well all of these things we'll link to in the show notes so you'll be able to um log on to the website and find links to all of the things that will mentions today but actually it's some of those things that i want to talk about in a little bit more detail so um you like you say you have been running webinars throughout and they've been incredibly valuable i want to ask a few questions around them if that's okay because i think that that some of the information that's in them would be really really valuable to our listeners right now so i guess my first question is why is pr and communications so important to attractions right now and the tourism sector and and what should they be focusing on um right well i i think the first thing is it all depends on where you want to be in the future and then working back from there so if you want to be front of mind when um your audiences can start to travel again when your consumers can start to travel again if you want to have secured a certain level of footfall or you want to have secured a certain level of brand value in how people think about you you need to communicate ultimately you have to communicate going dark is not necessarily the best option it may be an option for some organizations who simply just can't do it but for those that can they should continue to communicate and add value uh, in a way that helps set their brand apart because public relations ultimately is uh, you know it's the professional maintenance of a favorable of, of a favorable public image to give it its proper term but actually it's so much more nuanced now i mean i think sometimes the industry and, and other industries tend to think about pr as sort of promotional stuff mm. but actually it's far more nuanced than that and where we come from particularly is from a very strategic communications perspective and thinking about all aspects of what the brand's doing how it's behaving um you know how it's training its people how it's investing in the local community you know even from you know what what sort of sponsorships has it got in train at the moment what are its key messages and put all that together into a coherent plan that enables the brand to um reassure its customers um engage new customers and reignite interest and engagement about what it is doing now in a in a manner that hopefully builds footfall into the future so it's also about reacting i think to what uh how customers are perceiving brands at the moment and where they're getting information from so i think there's an opportunity to reassess your target customer uh, at the moment and by that i mean you know it's not only just looking at um, the demographics but i was very interested in one of your earlier podcasts uh, i think it was the uh, uh, the marketing lead from continuum talking about actually doesn't really look about demographics at the moment it's all about um almost tribes you know people being different ages being interested in different things and the similar connections so i think reevaluating your audiences about what their interests are and then how you can engage and connect with those audiences in new and meaningful ways so there's been a uh, an, an acceleration in how consumers are using uh, social media uh, and how they're using digital equipment you know <laughs> lots of older people are getting online for the first time there's been a, there's been a massive growth in uh, 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 the, uh, the older population getting on facebook you know there's been a boom in people using zoom uh, who are older so you know how can you as a brand actually harness some of that uh, that technical innovation by the consumer so you are being present in a new and interesting way either in their social media feeds online or even in the home 
you know, I was uh, looking online recently and there was a, a brand, a, a spa brand that was enabling you to sort of relax on uh, and take a virtual spa at home, you know, these sorts of things. And Amazon has launched uh, the opportunity to do a guided tour of a city. You pay for that and the, and the guide takes you around the city and takes you into shops. So, you know, how can a brand react to that? But more importantly, I think, particularly for many brands that are located in different parts of the UK, how can they be seen to be contributing positively to the local community and giving back? Because purpose is going to be one of the biggest things that comes out of this pandemic. It's not necessarily, sorry, purpose and localism, I think. And when I say localism, I mean regionalism, really. But there's been... uh, you know, YouGov has got some really interesting tracking on this around how people think about um, multinational brands now. And actually, they are steering towards the local side of things. When people start to travel again, they're more likely to go locally rather than internationally. So either staycation has been a huge increase in that, but actually traveling locally uh, rather than going nationally. So there's an opportunity to not only demonstrate your value for money, but to use a bit of a cliche phrase, your values for money. Um, And I I think that's something that should be really powerful into the future. So demonstrating what a brand is doing uh, to, you know, train its people, um, to give back to the local community, to support local schools, so so on and so forth. And I think that that will need to be done in a distinct way that's relevant for that particular brand, rather than just doing what everyone else is doing. And, And I think that also then goes back into a why are we here as an organization you know what is our promise to our customers a promise needs to be deeper than we're just going to give them a good time it needs to be you know multi-layered and then this goes once people once brands think about that and understand that to a great deal of detail it will help them communicate effectively um, both through their actions and what they say which then folds back into um, you know professional maintenance of a favorable public image because it's not something that is necessarily forced. It's something that just comes with, from within the organisation itself. Some incredibly powerful advice there, Will. Thank you for sharing that. I just want to touch back on, because my second question relates a little bit to what you were talking about, about consumer behaviours and how there is now that focus on localism. Um, we've heard, you know, we, we've had our own conversations with attractions where we're seeing new visitors come to new attractions that didn't even know that they were on their, do- on their doorstep, but they've lived, you know, 10 or 15 minutes away from this, this, this certain place for, for, for years, but just never engaged with it before. So I, I kind of want to ask you, and this is one of the webinars that you had um, had out during lockdown. So I want to ask you about the new emerging consumer behavioral needs. What, what is it that attractions need to know about and how, how do they kind of tap into that now? Well, I think they need to tap into it in a way which is relevant for them and authentic to them as a brand. Authenticity is, is I think, going to be so much more powerful now because authenticity and um, the quality of what you do, rather than just the price, the quality of what you do, the quality, the richness of the experience is going to be so much more powerful and relevant now when uh, people's disposable income is going to be squeezed as well. That said, there are some, there are some you know, clear consumer themes. First up is uh, super connectivity, which I mentioned earlier, which is people want to have an engagement online first before they choose to buy in, in, uh, in, 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 in physical form. 
Uh, that's not to say they're going to likely more likely to book you months out because actually, you know, people don't know what's going to happen in a couple of months. But they do want to help to experience you. So think about how you're projecting yourself online. Super connectivity. Then also think about how you're tapping into some themes that have come through from this around wellness, self-development, um, you know, mental fitness, physical fitness, and also quality of life. You know, you've seen people actually thinking during lockdown, you know what, I do want to spend more time with my friends and my family. I want to spend more time investing in myself. I want to spend more time reading or doing the things that I like. So for an attraction, it's about thinking about how it can reflect some of those themes in some of its messaging. You know, so I was interested with the podcast you had on with the um, chat from the national parks. You know, the national parks naturally lends itself to be able to communicate issues around wellness, physical, mental well-being, spending quality time with families. There might be a slightly chat more challenging task there for you know roller coaster based rides uh, attractions, but one can think about that in a, in a different way to build those connections in a, in, a, um, in, a, in, in the right sort of way. So, yeah, wellness and self-development are uh, sort of one in the same, really, but those are the top three. And then underneath that, you've mentioned uh, it sort of is, is virtual engagement. Um, so super connectivity might be one thing, but uh, virtual engagement is going to be something else. And you've already seen brands already doing things uh, like this. Uh, so, you know, you can... Uh, engage on a brand on anything from Minecraft to Animal Crossing, you know, lots of attractions moving into that space. And that's going to be right for some. It's not right for everybody. Um, uh, and then doing the right thing is the CSR aspect of it. But doing the right thing is now going to be absolutely what customers expect. There was some polling that was on YouGov before I came on this call today. And it was saying that about about 85% upwards of, of individuals, and this is across all generation X, Y, Z, boomers, etc., would move away from brands that they felt didn't hold the same worldview as them and were seen to be polluting or seen to be not treating their staff correctly or seen to be underpaying their staff. You know, they would actively avoid that. And really, there's an opportunity here to demonstrate leadership because, again, some polling from YouGov shows that Customers really want to live a more sustainable life. 92% of people say that. But only 16% of people follow it through. So actually, brands have got a really interesting leadership role to play here. You know, they've got an opportunity to talk about how they are embedded in the local community, the local economy, importantly. And, uh, you know, so sustainability is not just environmentalism. It's about the local networks that support us all. And this element of localism, this element of Actually, I'm, you know, I might commute 100 miles to go to work every day, but actually this is my neighbourhood here. Um, and I think that these changes are going to stay very much ingrained, become ingrained, because we're likely to be in this state for the next six months. You know, we've almost been a year in this situation by the time we come out the other end. And I think that will just naturally force people to make new habits to see the world differently. So it's all about the stories that we can tell. It's all about the stories and it comes back to that promise. You know, what promise are you making your customers? And as a marketeer, what change do you want to make in the world? You know, what change do you want to bring to those customers? Uh, and that goes beyond just having a good time, you know, whizzing around on a roller coaster or seeing some artifacts. It needs to be a far more richer, richer and multi-led um, uh, uh, promise and, and, and change you're trying to make.
which is one of the reasons why I love working with um, attractions, museums, because they genuinely impact all ages, every, every member of the family, and they just have some astonishing stories there. And I love that. I love that. But I love, I love talking about it, writing about it and taking people on the journey. Can, can I just tell you a story? Yeah, please do. So almost 13 years ago, um, I introduced a woman to her own heart. The only reason I remember this is because uh, the lady concerned dropped me an email just to say it was 13 years ago and this happened. And there was a picture of her holding her heart, um, surrounded by the world's media, and she held it there. What? Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. This needs more explanation. You, in, you introduced her to her own heart. So I launched Welcome Collection for the Welcome Trust. And it is an amazing building that uh, uh, brings together um, you know, arts and science and culture to help us understand what it is to be human. Uh, as it says, the, uh, a place for, the, for the being curably curious. But one of their first exhibitions was the heart exhibition. And there on the wall was going to be a space for a human heart that had had to be removed from a sick individual. And I just happened to be looking at this space in the pre-briefing and I said, does the lady, is the lady still alive? And there was a, some people who weren't entirely sure. We had to go through some networks and stuff to find out. But yes, she was. And so we got in touch with her and said, would you like to come and see this and talk about it? Talk about what it is. Talk about, you know, meeting the heart. Talk about it as from a, from a sort of personal and emotional thing. But also talk about it and give the opportunity to talk about the importance of organ donation and it was just incredibly powerful because there she was she was connected with her own heart the world's press went absolutely mad for this story as you can probably imagine it provided us with an opportunity to communicate the power of medicine life and art as that's what the world question was uh, then through the world's media through the red top media reaching an entirely different section of society with these sorts of stories um, and yeah, it, it literally went global. And, and that was just such a, a really visceral reminder about how powerful stories can be within museums and within the, that sort of setting. And that's also one of the things that I like to bring to these organisations because you can ask, as a, someone coming in from the outside, you can ask sort of questions which haven't necessarily been asked before, like, is that person still alive? Can we, can we get her to meet her? gosh that Um, is incredible what what a story (laughs) I'm so glad that you shared that that is just it's phenomenal isn't it what an incredible powerful story but what an incredible way to 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 sum up what that organization is all about yeah if you haven't been you know if your listeners haven't been to Welcome Collection do go and I think also you know look at that organization as a really interesting attraction based brand that just has astonishingly rich outreach and engagement. Um, you know, there's a Radio 4 series at the moment running about touch, which is sponsored by them, or that is sponsored by them, it's running partnership with them. But no, I've been very fortunate to launch, you know, all sorts of different museums with William Morris, Gary, Mary Rose Museum, National Museum for the Royal Navy, The View from the Shard. Uh, you know, there are loads of things and, and they are each, each and every one of them is uh, fantastically interesting. It's really lovely watching your face there, there while you were talking about them. So you can see that completely lit up. Something completely different. When we launched the top of the Shard, the, the view from the Shard, we had arranged, uh, we, we'd been contacted by 
someone who wanted to be the first person to propose up there. Uh, it, it was, you know, so it was all fine. And we we got this person upstairs and we had the then London Mayor, uh, Boris, etc. And the world's media were all there ready to, uh, you know, as the ribbon was being cut for the, for the grand opening of the, sh- of the, of the top of the shard. And there was this very nervous looking man, you know, in the oh, corner, God. about to go down on one knee. And we had some flowers off, off stage, as it were, to, 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 to do the right thing, assuming uh, his, his partner's going to say yes. And anywhere else, somebody else jumped in and did it first. No! <laughs> oh, no! Oh, that's awful! <laughs> just another member of the public just went, just, just, just went off and did it. And uh, uh, that was... <laughs> oh, no, all that build-up. He became the second person. <laughs> I hope his partner said yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, thank God for that. Because yeah, it could have been worse, couldn't yeah. it? Oh. They're always, uh, they're always good things to, to find out. But, uh... <laughs> Brilliant stories. Right, thank you. <laughs> I, I have got one more question for you. You talked a lot earlier about your own team um, and, you know, people working from home and it being it dispersed. And it's just, it's, everything has been really, really different for people. And I guess what I wanted to ask you was around PR planning tools. So uh, I think one of the yeah. questions was, you know, what, what, what are the best PR planning tools to help remote teams gather the information and then run, you know, communications with, with clarity and real measurable impact? You know, how, how do people do that when they're so dispersed at the moment? Okay, so that's an interesting question. Um, in, in terms of remote tools to, to bring teams together to help them plan on things, so we use one which is called Monday. We also have our own database um, system uh, called Daylight, which uh, that's sort of really techy, boring stuff, frankly. But it, it's essentially a glorified to-do list. I'm just thinking someone needs to help you with those to-do lists, Will. Hold a gun to my head. I, it always it always comes back down to what am I trying to achieve and how I'm going to measure success. So one one of the things that we always set for cl- our clients and the reason why we've won so many awards is because we work to very clear and measurable goals. And w- what I mean by that in, is if you're going to value something, you need to measure it. And, and one of the things that I think, particularly with PR, sort of straightforward PR, it gets very much shoved into the promotions bracket you know get a press release out actually let's take a step back and put a far more nuanced and effective communications campaign that links tightly into marketing and advertising and helps raise the brand profile so if we're going to do that okay how are we going to measure it footfall you know what are our smart goals specific measurable um, achievable realistic timely you know sorry relevant and timely those just being really crystal clear about what we're trying to do actually unifies minds towards that central purpose and then everything else should follow so i don't think it's necessarily about what sort of tools you have but it's it's about how you are working towards that common aim we do have um some grids that we use and in fact i shared it on one of the webinars where we talked about um you want to look at your different audiences so you map out your audience and you say okay these are the audience i'm looking to communicate to how do I want my audiences to think and act now about me as a brand? And how do I want them to think and act about my brand in the future? And once you understand that, you, have a, you should have two lists and there's a gap in the middle. So essentially, if you have your audience and the way they think about you now, 
and the way you want them to think about you in the future, what do you need to do and what do you need to say to take people on that journey? And then you need to think about what are the best channels for me to show that I'm walking the talk? You know, there'll be some channels that are more relevant to others for different elements of your audience. You know, the older audiences or um, the parenting audiences might have very different channels to the millennials, to the Generation Zs. But ultimately, what bind them, what should, should all bind them together is some clear, consistent messaging that comes back to that central promise about why you exist as an organization and that promise that you're, that you're looking to communicate. And then you need to measure it. And this isn't just about uh, clicks on websites. It's not just about uh, footfall. Of course, all of those are absolutely relevant and absolutely what we should do. And if you look on our website, on our case studies, everything we do set out like that. But actually, it goes deeper than that, which is how am I going to measure meaning and difference? So meaningful is, can I look at the type of coverage that I'm securing or the way people are talking about my brand that talks about um, this is making me happy or I see the quality of what you're doing? Words that reflect that qualitative status that you're looking to achieve if you're wanting to, people to pay to come walk through the door. And then the other element to look at is your difference. You know, are they excited about visiting X or Y attraction? How are they describing it? So essentially there are two ways to, to look at these things, qualitatively or quantitatively. And I think lots of people tend to focus because it's easier on the numbers. You know, we, we secured X number of website traffic, which is all great, but that's a short-term thing. And actually the longer-term build of consistent growth over time is based on something that's far more powerful. And it's, people, and it's that it's that thing that people want to sign up to about a brand, you know, the, the, the guiding star that, that, that is going to orientate all your communication and that will compel people uh, to sign up because they're really interested to learn more or they're going to not just be a visitor who's going to visit once, they're going to keep coming back or they're going to turn into an active ambassador about your brand and get others to come. So, and, and that sort of response is multifaceted. You know, it goes down to... Um, particularly in this time of COVID, how are you going to handle ticket refunds? You know, how are you going to be easy to deal with if people can't come? You know, what's your customer service like? All of that feeds into the, the overall brand perception right the way through to what you're talking about doing locally, how you're investing in the people, if you're going to get announcing exciting new sponsorship with um, a confectionery brands to sponsor your roller coaster or something. You know, all of that. Every element along there really, really matters. But if you've got a strong core... Um, you know, based around uh, clear set of values, then it'll help you communicate far, far more strongly. Absolutely. Far more strongly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Brilliant advice. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much for sharing. I think that our listeners will get a lot from that. I'm taking a lot from it myself. I'm thinking about our core mission and and, uh, and how that comes across in, in our communications. Well, I think you do that really oh. well. <laughs> well I, I, I looked at it on your website and, and, you know, there it is. It's just simply put, you know. Uh, mission purpose I, I think people kind of yeah there it is very very kind <laughs> no I it is interesting and it's one of the it's one of the things I really enjoy about this work is helping brands find that way forward and then doing really interesting things with it. it's really interesting because I think that um listening to you we, we have spoken before uh, at length about about storytelling really essentially and I think um People do pigeonhole PR and comms agencies into press release, 
just pushing stuff out and not yeah. really thinking about it in a holistic way. And I love how you've talked about it today from, you know, it has to start from that core, that core message, that core kind of story and vision for, for your organization. Absolutely. I think if you could draw three rings on a, on a ta- on like the traditional Venn diagram, it's like, what is your purpose? What am I doing to establish my reputation and build trust? Those three sort of rings. And at the middle is then what you're going to do. So reputation might be based on the excitement of what you're doing, underpinned by first-class trust and the, the customer service. And then the customer trust would be built out of the way that experiences the brand. But the purpose then comes through about what you're doing with the company profits, you know, how those are being shared, you know, whether or not you're investing back into local, local people, all that. So, yeah, that's, that's really interesting to, uh, to, to look at that. Then the tactical stuff, you know, about should I be engaged with influencers? Should I be on this channel, TikTok? Should I be on regional media? All of that sort of follows naturally after. I think there's a, a temptation to get straight into the tactical weeds rather than actually take a step back and say, what are we trying to do yeah. um, and how do we get there? And that's one of the reasons why we, um, we, we always create a named and framed campaign for our clients. So I, I call our, our brand essentially is smart imagination. So that's creativity focused towards solving business problems. And we will always create a named solution for a, for a client. So for uh, Japan House London, the campaign to launch that uh, this new cultural presence for Japan in the UK to stimulate understanding and trade with Japan. Ultimately, uh, the campaign name was Your Gateway to Contemporary Japan. So it was Your Gateway. So it was a very personalized campaign that was specifically focused at one type of person who that attraction was very keen to get, get in. Um, and that's, it's, that, it's that approach that actually, so rather than just doing stuff, leave, leave all that over there, it's actually being really clear about what the campaign is going to be called and how it's going to be moved forward and then how it's going to be measured. That's cool. Um, okay, so look, here, here's a good example, right? So when we launched the Mary Rose Museum, so several years ago now, we created a campaign that was called The Journey of the Ship's Bell. To do that, we worked with the museum and we took the bell of the Mary Rose from the museum out into the Solent and it was rung um, to mark the ship and the, those that had perished with her. But then we dressed it up and we took it in, we, we made, we, we partnered with the Royal Navy and we, we worked with um, HMS Duncan, which is a sister ship of the, um, of, of the Mary Rose. And uh, we found uh, the youngest sailor on board who was then going to ring the bell. We invited uh, a flotilla of ships um, and boats from across uh, the local ports to come and join this. So we were, we were creating this story about linking this wooden structure that many people, young people, were, you know, slightly alien to, you know. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Blue Peter, you know, when the, when the Mary Rose yep. was coming up. And it, <laughs> Same. you know, it just got, it just, got, it just, it just judded. But to many younger people, there wasn't that connection. You know, what is this thing? So actually... The journey of the ship's bell enabled the brand to tell the story visually and we timed everything to happen on various parts of the news bulletin through the day. So we started in breakfast television, lunchtime television, and then there was a big ceremony in the evening, all of which was broadcast nationally. But it was that story that actually turned the museum opening into something that was far more rich and engaging for the world's media. 
and we did other stuff like we got um, interesting talks about wrestlers. Uh, we got other wrestlers, we, we got people who might be linked or could say things about the Mary Rose involved. So we got a British wrestler called William Regal, okay. I think his name was. <laughs> <laughs> he was sharing stuff out on, on LinkedIn. Uh, sorry, no, on LinkedIn, no, on, on, on Twitter. I mean, it was actually, and this is this was many years ago now, but it it it, it trended in numbers, like trended number two in oh, the I UK. Love this. I, think, like, I see. Yeah. I knew. I knew so, that my, uh, yeah. my my stupid icebreaker questions would somehow be related at some <laughs> point in a podcast interview. <laughs> so, but I, I think it's I think it's about telling that story. So, always naming and framing your campaigns in a really in a really effective way. So, like it's tempting to say we're going to run a Christmas mm-hmm. campaign. Whoa, stop! You know let's do something more exciting with that. If we can excite ourselves about what Christmas might be on the attraction, then we, we'll be better able to excite our customers rather than just being Christmas. Perfect. So perfect way to bring us towards the end of the podcast interview. I've got one last question for you, which we asked all of our guests. And it's a book that you recommend that's helped shaped your career in some way, or just a book that you really love that you would recommend to our listeners. Uh, that's a really good question. So I have several books that I try and read. Um, I have to say I'm pretty terrible at this, as in uh, I, I lug them around in my bag. <laughs> they stay there and they get more and more dogged. Um, but there are a couple of books that I think uh, people who are interested in communication should read. Um, and the first one is uh, called uh, Influence by Robert Caldini. And he's the sort of guy who, uh, he's a behavioral psychologist and he wrote the sort of defining book on influence, really. Um, it's really, really interesting. And there's another book, which I would also recommend. It's written by James Carvel, uh, who was one of the Clinton's campaign experts, really. And he, uh, at the, uh, the name of the book is called um, Buck Up, Suck Up, and Come Back When You Foul Up, I think. And I've often returned to that book because it's just got some brilliant truths in there about uh, that have learned from the war room of political campaigning. Uh, it's really effective. So I definitely recommend that book. Uh, for relaxation and stuff, I love the work by Neil Gaiman. I just, I'm, I, lo- I love that. Uh, I love reading those books. Um, and I also think it's important to sort of challenge yourself, you know, philosophically as well. So I'm, for a couple of years, I've been reading um, uh, books on stoicism, which I think is really interesting philosophy. Uh, particularly, there's one book called The Daily Stoic, which is by a guy called Ryan Holiday which provides meditations from Marcus Aurelius and others that you can dip into on a daily basis. He's, he's also got one out at the moment called Ego is the Enemy, which is, uh, and, and also Obstacle is the Way, which I think is a really, really interesting stoic way of looking at the world, which is if there is an obstacle in the way, it becomes the way. You know, there isn't, you can't get, you just have to deal with that. And how you react to it actually defines who you are and how, you're going to move forward generally. Um, I'm not really doing this justice. I've not, I've not read the book, but I listen to a lot of his, uh, his, uh, um, uh, his podcast, but I definitely recommend engaging with that. And I also try and reread um, the screw tape letters uh, because they really deal with some really interesting letter, uh, issues to do around to do with self, soul, temptation, staying on the straight and narrow. Uh, I'm, you know, I go to church, I'm, 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 you know, I'm Christian, I'm trying to do my life with Christian values. And that the dichotomy between stoicism and what's in the screw tape letters is really interesting. So those those four books are are sort of ones that I would always recommend, and they're all challenging for different reasons. I mean, great, great book, great book choices. 
Um, another thing that Will is maybe not good at is following instruction because that's four books <laughs> and not one book. Oh, sorry. Just, yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. So everyone yeah. that comes on blows my marketing budget out of the window. However, uh, if you if you have to give one book a one a one a one readership book, sorry, a, a book to a professional basis, I think Bark Up and Suck Up is just such a great book because it's just boom, 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 and it's all about how these guys help win the White House. All right, well, that's uh, the one then. And, and I, that's the one. I just find that really fantastic. Yeah, that, that was one. There's also one I'm reading at the moment called How to, how to Argue with a Cat, uh, which is brilliant. And it's all about uh, um, how to persuade and how to use, which is just really interesting when you're thinking about how you use that to communicate as a brand, uh, brand posture. And all that, that sounds sort of like a great so. book. All right, but but now that's five books. So <clears throat> if, you, if you don't oh, stop recommending books, you'll be months, arguing with a podcast host soon. <laughs> anyway as ever if you if you'd like to win a copy of this book and i think what we're gonna what what's the one we're gonna go with the buck up buck up and suck up is a good one how to argue with the cat's great influence oh, one gosh. just uh, we'll, we'll pick, pick one, one at random okay so if you want to w- if you want to win one of will's books if you um if you head over to our twitter account which is skip underscore the underscore q and you retweet this episode's announcement with a comment i want will's book um, then you'll be in with a chance of winning it. And we'll pick what book it is at random. <laughs> <laughs> Will, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. It, it has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for sharing so much insight with us. It's, it's really, really appreciated. My absolute pleasure. And if anyone want to find out any more, then it's all on our website as well. We, we put quite a lot of information about what we're doing, for clients and the type of things that the way we're working to deliver those sorts of results so people can apply that in their own brand uh, situation as well and um if anyone wants to handle anything then you know i'm always free to have a conversation I'm always happy to help and to have a chat and help people find a way through things so you know just that is a really kind offer will and we will put all of will's contact details in the show notes so if you want to take him up on that offer then go for it i'd highly recommend a chat with will he's fab Thank you. And we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Skip the Queue. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find us. And remember to follow us on Twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned. Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.